to bring you a support group here at the church on Saturdays. 9.30 will start weigh-in. 10 o'clock will be our meeting time. I have been in the weight loss industry for over seven years and have successfully kept off 60 pounds myself. We plan to come together as a community of people supporting one another to make our best life. So that means moving more, incorporating healthy recipes and ideas, and then sharing our successes and struggles as a group. So please come join us Saturdays, 9.30 weigh-in, 10 o'clock meeting time. Thanks so much. That is a ministry that is um, of our outreach committee that is meeting on Saturdays. They said they've lost 108 pounds um, last in this past April as a group. So I guess that, I don't, I guess that's good. Um, unless one person lost 107 and the rest of them lost one. That's, I think that's good. Um, but, uh, but if that's something that you would be interested in again, nine thirty on Saturday mornings, uh, it's first time my wife has ever played in a church service for us. So that's, I think it's awesome. She said, I hope, she goes, I'm so afraid I'm going to embarrass you. I go, don't worry, that is my job. Um, that's what I do. Um, but so excited about you all being here this morning. We have um, had a great morning already. We had a young man that came, uh, professed his faith in Christ this morning in the first service. His name is Cody Kennedy uh, and is going to be baptized soon. So we're excited about that. And uh, about how the Lord is moving in his life. And uh, uh, again, and recognizing our graduates this morning, we're starting a new series today called The Family Bible. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the message title. Building a Family Life Center is the series. And, uh, and we la- the last series we had called Building a Community Center. If you were here, you know that it really wasn't about constructing a building. It's about the fact that God is trying to make us the center of our community. And in the same way, in this series, as it goes from Mother's Day's next week, and this series will extend all the way through Father's Day, uh, that it is about how the family also needs to be, the center of our family life needs to be Jesus. So often, the center of our family life, and what, what happens, it's so easy to happen to all of us, is we, we want in our minds, we want Jesus to be the center of our family life, but there's so many competing factors. And if we don't become intentional about making sure that he is the center of everything we do as a family, then we go in a lot of different directions. And we have to kind of look and say, what is the driving force? What is the thing? What is, what is the thing that brings our family together? What unites our family together? And when it's anything other than Christ, then those competing interests splinter families apart. And that's really what the enemy's strategy is, is to, to give the, the father one interest and the mother one interest and the children each different interests that, that bring, take us away from Christ. Now, it's okay to have different interests. It's okay, of course, okay to use talents and enjoy different things and so forth. But there needs, just like in church ministry, there needs to be something that ties us all together. We're very different people, but something has to bond us. Something has to bind us together. Blessed be the tie that binds, which, and that tie has to be Jesus. He's the one thing that we can... It, you see this trend happening in churches all over the place. 
because entertainment becomes the thing that binds people together, becomes the center of our lives. Churches turn to entertainment to try to bring people in. If sports is the thing that ties people together, they try to turn to sports to bring people in, to attract people in, and so forth. And I've always been told, and it's true, whatever you do to get them there is what you got to do to keep them there. And what happens is, is those things, because they're temporary, because they don't have lasting power, because they don't have eternal significance, people grow weary of them or their interests change, and so they just simply go to another place or do something else. When Christ is the person who brings us together, when our focus is him, when he is the center of our family, then we always have something. For one thing, that is eternal value. It, it has some, it, he, is, he is the only one who is able to bring us together and hold us together. And, and when families are centered in Christ, when multiple families get together and are centered in Christ, and we form small groups of people getting together where Christ is the center of those groups, and, and when we come together as a congregation and Christ is the center of everything we do here, and, and then we become the center of our community, become the center of, of life then Jesus is lifted up and he draws people to himself. This is, so you have a competing program. Jesus is trying to get to be the center of our decision-making, the center of our family tradition, the center of our family, what makes our family a family, the purpose and mission of our families. And the enemy is trying to move us in all types of different directions. And so this is, this is something that is worth the battle. And so, again, the, the title of this message is The Family Bible, and, and you can kind of see it hazy up there. But this, this is a Bible that sat on my grandmother's, we called her Granny, we sat on Granny's coffee table in the living room. And you had to understand, and somebody came to me and said, well, we called it the parlor. Uh, we didn't call it the living room. Whatever you call it, it used to be, I don't know, you may still have one of these. There was a room in the house where nobody went. You weren't allowed to go in there. It was the carpet was perfect. The, everything was set exactly like maybe it was just as children. We weren't allowed to go in there, but people rarely ever. It was like the Holy of Holies. I had no difficulty understanding the concept of the Holy of Holies because all I had to be told is it's like your grandmother's living room. And I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, only the high priest is allowed to walk in there with a vacuum cleaner once every year. Uh, and uh, that was a joke. But the uh, high priest being my granny. But the uh, but anyway, there was a in. In that room is a Bible. Now, we would have our Christmas celebrations and so forth. Now, if you're not allowed to go in that room, you definitely are not allowed to take a soft drink into that room or a Kool-Aid, definitely not Kool-Aid into that room. And if you did take in that room, you were not to ever set it, your drink. You were never to use the Bible as a coaster. You were never to use, and it was opened up. And, and you know, every once in a while we read the pages, you know, and it felt like that book was sacred. It felt like that book, there was, it was holy. You know, it was like if you touched it, the power of God would be inside of it. And here's the thing about family Bibles. Uh, what has happened is, is that because a generation of people believes that God is in an object, then they have begun to doubt the power of God. Because we, because what happens, we've reduced him down to something that, because the power is not in having a book on your coffee table. The power is having the message of that book in your life. And instead of families just owning a book that, and, and because it's kind of a metaphor for what's happened. Christianity has become, for a lot of people, a room we don't go into very often, only on special occasions. 
maybe just once a week, if that. It, it, and, and families think we go to church and we have this religious experience. They, people begin to look at this place, what we are doing right now, as that living room. And we have a, we, in fact, we have a big Bible back there on the table back there as representative of that. And while you and I may understand the importance of what those things represent, if we have not clearly communicated the message that's within it, then we've hindered that from being passed on to from one generation to another. We've hindered that from being something that we all understand. Uh, people come in and they see these things, but they don't know what they mean. Don't really understand. And so, so they're trying to just think of it. If you were here visiting and you've never been in church, don't know anything about Jesus or anything, and you're trying to figure out what's important about our faith from just being here, observing the way everything's laid out and the way everything is. Again, growing up, when I look at that living room, I would, as a child, I remember thinking that book is important. It's so important, we shouldn't even open it. You know, there just should be, just reverence the book. And we should all have one, and it should be kept in a reverent place. I know people who write in their Bibles. I have never, I mean, maybe one, a handful of times I've written something, but it took everything I had because I was taught so strictly, you do not write in it. You, do not, you look at it, you read it, you, you know, it's, it's holy. I, that's, and it's, it's ingrained in me. But the truth is, is it's a book. And what happens is people begin fighting over, you know, I think people fight over translations and they fight over, uh, you know, which version and, and what type of book and, le- you know, it's leather bound, name inscribed on it and so forth. And, and, we, and we've made such a big deal about those things that that's what we begin to believe is the important part. But that's, that's not what the book actually teaches us. Because as we're going to look at today, as Paul is telling Timothy... It's important for you to go back to the Bible. He is not talking about a book. He's definitely not talking about a King James version of the Bible. He's just simply talking about the scriptures that Timothy was taught, taught as he grew up. Now, in this letter to 2 Timothy, and I've shared before, is so precious to me because we had a chance to go to the Mamertine prison years ago and stand in the prison where Paul was being held and where Paul was chained and got to read second Timothy. It took, it takes all of seven minutes to read through the entire letter. You could do it during the first portion of the sermon. If you wanted to don't do that, but you could do that. Uh, But the entire letter is about seven minutes long, but Paul, the reason why it was powerful to go there and read it aloud is because that is how it was first created. Paul had no ability to write. He was in the dark and a whole Luke was above him. And he literally just spoke the letter to Luke and Luke wrote it down. And now it's become, and the words are so precious. Of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are now preserved for us as the word of God. But what Paul was trying, what was happening with Timothy was, as Timothy was starting to fall away from the faith, he was starting to backtrack because it was getting very, very hard to follow Jesus. And he didn't think he could do it anymore. Obviously, it was getting hard because Paul's there in prison, getting ready to be killed as a result of his faith. And Timothy is on the brink of falling away. Many others have already fallen away. And so Paul's reaching, appealing to him and saying, remember your mother, 
Remember your grandmother. Remember the faith that they taught you. You need to come back to that. And he gets to this chapter and he's seeing how there are imposters and false teachers and fakes. People pretending. And he said, but you know what the word says. You know what the word says. Look what he says in chapter, 14, in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you. And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And Father, help us to understand today that our faith in you, needs to be greater than just simply a book on a table. Father, we need to know your word. Your word needs to be a part of us. Father, we need to know it, understand it, share it, live it. Father, help us to appreciate how powerful it is. May it not just become part of our lives, but it may it become part of our family's life. May it be the thing that ties us to you, unites us with you, unites us to each other. May it be the thing that unites this church together. May we all come together in your word. Father, because the word is Jesus. And so, Father, just pray, Father, that we remember that and you'd reveal that through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we are going to have a true family Bible, if we are going to have a family that's centered around God's word, if we're going to have something that resonates, that draws us to the center of, of who he wants us to be, there's a few things that this passage is going to show us. Paul, in Paul's appeal to Timothy, we kind of have this, uh, here's what Paul's telling Timothy to do. And we can kind of draw from that is what we need to do. It's really about getting back to what we have been shown. Now, if you are new at this, if you're brand new, you've never been in the faith, never been to church. Most people in Kentucky are not what we would call unchurched, but what we would call de-churched. And what that means is you were at church at some point or another. You've been exposed to it, but for whatever reason, you got away from it or you never got plugged in and you just kind of floundered. Or you've been in church your whole life, one of the two. But still, you could be in church your whole life and still not feel connected or still not have the Bible or the Word of God as the centerpiece or as the, the guiding force in your life. Still not be an avid follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul is speaking to Timothy, but these words resonate to us as well. And the first thing he begins teaching him is that you need to lay a foundation. A foundation needs to be laid. And foundations are laid simply by taking these principles and, and, and things we learn from God and teaching those to our children or to the people that God entrusts to, to us, like people that we are to disciple. You have a foundation that is laid by the preachers and the Bible teachers and Sunday school classes and everything you've ever been a part of your whole life. And, and how good that foundation is, is really dependent upon how good those people that God put into your life. I remember we were, we were remodeling our, one of our house in Fordsville and um, we had done a lot of work on the walls and painting and so forth. And then went under and looked at the foundation of the house and realized that part of the foundation had rotted. 
and we were going to have to replace it. Now, if you have ever done anything like that before, this, now this house is about 40 feet tall. It's a huge Victorian house. And we had to jack it up nine inches and put a new footer in and foundation. And when we did that, it destroyed every bit of work we had done. And that, so you, you begin to labor that point. You know, it's like, do we really have to do this? Well, it really comes down to this question. Do you want your house to fall in at some point in the near future? Because that's what's going to happen. It has to have a strong foundation. And sometimes when we look at our lives, we need to look underneath and say, okay, what am I building all this on? And sometimes when you see the collapse of families, when you see the collapse of people, you don't, it doesn't take very long to look and see the foundation had cracks or issues. I've never, never seen a minister fail, never seen a ministry collapse, never seen a, a pastor or leaders in the church fall from grace without going back and looking and seeing, oh, there were some serious issues with their foundation, serious issues with the foundation. And so we need to look at the foundation and see, is it the foundation that God means for us to have? Look what Paul says to Timothy. He says in verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. And Paul is saying, you were taught correctly. You were taught, I, Paul, taught you. Your, your mother, your grandmother taught you solid biblical truth. The message of Christ in your life. That's there. And for us, it's very simple. It's actually a very simple foundation. And Jesus, Jesus laid the foundation for his disciples the day before he died. He said, this is the commandment I'm going to give you. One thing I want you to remember, this is going to be the foundation for everything you build on. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. That's the foundation. When he was asked by a young teacher trying to catch Jesus in a trap, and he says, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing we need to do as followers of God? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on this. And then with his disciples, he said, let me even narrow it down even more. So he narrowed it down to two, and for the disciples, he narrowed it down to one. He says, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That is the foundation. That is what everything hinges on. That means that if you in your life, in your family's life, if you are not loving one another as Jesus has loved us, that means you need to know the love of Jesus that's inherent within the command. You need to know the love of Christ. So if you, if in your family's life, they do not know the love of Christ and do not know how, are not loving one another, then something's wrong with the foundation of what we're doing. We have to go back to that. So Paul's saying, you know this, you've been taught this. And you have firmly believed it. And here's what I want us to remember. Even if you, even if you were not given a secure foundation in Christ when you were young. Make it your mission to give it to others. Make it your mission to give it to your children. Make it your mission to give it to your grandchildren. Make it your mission to give it to your friends, your coworkers. Make sure you have a foundation, a solid foundation in Christ. And then... Make it your mission to make sure other people also have this secure foundation to build on. Not only does Paul say you need to lay a foundation, he says you need to respect authority. You need to respect authority. Now, 
We live in an age where respecting authority is really challenged. And I, I, don't, I don't, let me go beyond that. It's not just really challenged, it's really challenging. It's really challenging. In that you have all types of people on every type of political spectrum. Do we respect law enforcement officials? Do we not respect them? Do we respect political leaders? Do we not respect them? And, and so and depending on where those people come from and, and how their persuasion is, sometimes determines whether we respect people or not. And this goes back to that foundation again. This is why families are divided over this. This is why churches are divided over this. Because it goes back to the foundation. Because our foundation is not in the right place. We are all over the map. This is what uh, Albert Einstein said years ago. When talking about Nazi Germany and the people. Boom. There it is. There. Yeah. Um, no. That's not it. You see that quote? There it is. Yes. Unthinking respect for authority is the greatest enemy of truth. Now, that's just from a secular mindset. Somebody grasping something that we all already know. And that is the reason why we lose respect, the reason why there's controversy right now. I don't know if you've been reading about as far as things Beth Moore has put in, in her in, out there as far as things that have been written by other church leaders and different people and so forth. The reason why respect is uh, between men and women is really tense right now. Um, things that Paige Patterson said. If you're not aware of that, just, it's out there in the news. But the what's what's happening is is people are saying you want us to blindly respect men, even though we've been mistreated by them. That is not what the Bible teaches us. You can be thoughtful and respect, and that is where truth is found. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Respect God as your authority. And I think this is the reason why we're off base. Because I'm not to respect a book on the coffee table in the living room. I'm to respect Christ who is the word of God. And I believe because of my respect for him and who he is, that I believe he is God, that I believe he did die on a cross, that I believe he did rise from the dead because he affirms these 66 books, because he affirms the message within it. I respect what this says. And that's why we labor so hard to make sure we get it exactly as he communicated it to us. That's why people labor over it in scholarship because we want to know what God himself has endorsed, what Jesus endorsed, because he deserves respect and he asked me to respect this. So I respect it because he does. And this word inspired by God asked me to respect the authorities. So I respect politicians and our political leaders. I respect law enforcement officials because I respect the God who asked me to respect them. I respect my father because the God who asked me to respect him uh, is worthy of that respect. I respect my mother because the God who is worthy of my respect asked me to respect her. You see, when we get the order correct, when we understand that it is God who is worthy of my respect, my father in heaven worthy of my respect, because Jesus told me to respect my father in heaven. Now I understand how all this is laid out. And I do these things because Jesus is my Lord and he is worthy to be my Lord. 
Look what Paul says in 14b. He says, the second part of verse 14, he says, you know those who taught you. You know them. And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, now he's not talking about, Timothy, you were taught to obey the law of the Old Testament. He's He's not saying if you do not boil a goat in his mother's milk, then you're going to be okay. You know, which you learned that in Leviticus. It's one of the laws in Leviticus that you're to observe. And you're like, how does that apply to anything? Well, look what he says. He says, you were taught, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is your faith in Christ that saves you. It was the scripture that pointed you to Christ. The Old Testament has one glaring message over and over again. You will need a Messiah. And the New Testament has one glaring message. You got one in Jesus Christ. And that, that's what the word does. The word tells us we have a need for a Messiah. And then it tells us, and God sent one. And we center on that. That is the pivotal pivotal thing. That's why the Bible is important. That's why it's important for us to communicate the word of God to one another. Why it's important to tell us? Because it points us to our need for Christ and then shows us how we can receive Christ. So this is what we do with this. Recognize that God is speaking to you through the Bible and the people who know and understand it. Which preacher should you trust? The ones who teach the Bible. And that is the authority. The authority that they give. You know, do not respect what I say when it's my opinion. And I really strive never to just simply share opinions. On Wednesday night, we, I, somebody asked my opinion about something. It was a Wednesday night, so we kind of let my guard down a little bit there. But my opinion is worthless. Not worthy of respect, not worthy, because it has no authority. The word of God proclaimed is worthy of respect because it is the authority given to it by God. So recognize that God is speaking to you through it and the people who know and understand it. I don't know if you're an NCIS fan, but they have a little thing he says every time they go out on an assignment. Um, Grab your gear. And it just made me think of it as I was thinking of, this is something, this is the most practical thing I can think of. So you, you have this foundation of God's word in your life, and, and you have that, he says, I want you to respect the authority of God's word. And now, don't leave home without it. You remember the old American Express card commercial, don't leave home without it? Well, don't leave home without it. Uh, I shared an illustration in the first service. Uh, Dixon asked me to temper it down for the 11 o'clock service. So here's the tempered down version since it's on Facebook Live. My mother may watch it. Uh, when I was going to prom, my um, the fourth prom that I went to, I went to five, I think, something like that. Uh, I was a prom going person. Um, can't miss that part of my life. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but I remember one time I'm leaving the house. And my mother and father are sitting at the table. I'll never forget. I'm leaving the house. I'm walking out. And my mom elbows my dad and says, you should tell him something before he leaves. 
I'm not going to tell you what my dad said. (laughs) It was fairly crude. (laughs) But it was simple advice. We don't want any grandchildren at this time. I think that kind of implies where this was going. And I remember that. And I remember laughing and walking away. Let me tell you what. I lament that he did not take that opportunity to equip me with the word of God. I've so many times as I've went to ministry and, and labored in the word and learned things that God's word teaches and thought, why did my parents never share this with me? Why they never tell me? Let me tell you, when my kids went to prom, they got verses of scripture, <laughs> a lot of about three months in advance. I think so much for the Jonathan just didn't go. Uh, and we were going to make sure you are going to be equipped. You are going to, there's going to be some rebuke, some correction. There's going to be, we're going to take what God's word has, because this is the thing you understand about God's word. It's not, it's so wasted if it's just on the coffee table. The foundation that's laid in Christ and, and once we respect his authority, then we can understand it has everything in it that we need. One of the reasons why when we go on a trip, I pack a bag. Kim, Kim's always been good at this. She's the bag. The diaper bag is the most essential thing that parents take out the door when you have children. And she always packed the diaper and it has everything. In it. You know, they're like they, they're like. 75 liters or something like that. They have everything, every, because what happens is you get out into a situation and you're like, oh, I don't have one of these. So you make sure the next time you have it. Well, we would go out. There are a couple of times we went on hiking where I nearly killed my family. Okay, I'll just say it. We, near, we all nearly died as a result of my in, unpreparedness. So when we go this time, now I pack a lights and headlamps and, and food and water and ways to get fresh water and all these different things. And I meticulously go through it because I want to be prepared and I have it in a bag. So I can just grab it and go. It's in the car. It's ready. We don't ever have to use it a lot, but, but it's there. And that's the way the word of God needs to be in our families. That's the way our word of God needs to be in your life, in my life. It needs to be to where we are giving it to our children where they're prepared. Look what Paul says to Timothy in verse 16. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, and where he says man of God, just put your children, put their names there so that your child's name or so that your spouse's name or so that your friend or your coworker put whoever God has put in your life that you care about, put their name right there. So that blank may be complete equipped for every good work. They do not get it. People do not get this naturally. They can't just hold this book and then the truth of it just absorb into the skin. You have to learn it. Learn how to apply it and then teach it and model it and show people this is what God's word says about anxiety. This is what God's word says about trust. This is what God says, what God's word says about sexual purity. This is what God's word says about telling the truth. This is what God's word says about getting through tax season or, or getting through summer or whatever, making choices about vacation and how we spend our money and all these different things, all life's challenges, marriage. It says it is sufficient for these things. But we have to dig it out and find it and then share it. 
So it's where you dig deep in the word of God and find God's mission for your family and the tools to complete it. And then get your family centered, centered around Christ and his calling. Be a family that's on mission for God and know that he gives you the tools to share. with. Do not send your children out ill-equipped. Do not let it suffice that your children are not being equipped by whatever it is. Find a way to speak into your grandchildren's life. Find a way to speak into your neighbor's children's life. Find a way. That's what the great thing about foster care is that you have a way to speak into children's lives that you would never get the opportunity to otherwise. Let me close with this question. Who or what is directing your life? Who makes, how do you make decisions? As a family, how do you make the choices that your family makes as, as an individual? When you're just trying to decide what to do, what's the, what's the guiding factor? What do you use as a guideline? Do you just Google it and whatever Google says, that's what you do? Or do you do what your parents taught you? Or do you ask a friend? You just wing it? The enemy has a plan. Jesus has a plan too. That will beat the enemy's plan. But you have to know that plan. And it has to be the guiding force in your life. Let me ask you this. Are you ready to try it Jesus' way? If it's whatever you're doing is working for you, you're probably not. You're probably like, I'm good. I get it. It's working for you. But if it's not working... If it's not working, that's by God's design. He lets things fail so that you will turn to him, so that you will reject what you have been doing and receive what he's been giving to you. Pray with me. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would show us your way. Show us that you you are the way. And Father, if we've been looking for guidance in life elsewhere. May we turn to you for guidance this morning, trusting you that you will get us where we want to go. Father, if our families have not been operating according to your guidelines, Father, I pray that we would begin to operate by those guidelines. Maybe we messed up with our children, but Lord, we can speak into the lives of our children's children. Lord, there's a lot of grace to be dispensed here today. Lord, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things wrong. Lord, I, I'm, I'm so glad that my children in so many ways are more faithful than I was. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would just simply today just surrender ourselves to you and be who you want us to be. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.